With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. The Turn on the Jets podcast is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. Make sure to check out MyBookie.ag for all your NFL bets this upcoming week five. And make sure to use promo code TOJ for up to a 100% cash bonus back to match your initial deposit. Again, that is MyBookie.ag for all your odds, upcoming bets, and lines that you're looking at for week five in the NFL season. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined today in the co-host seat by Scott Mason, our normal host of Play Like a Jet. Scott, how you doing today? Oh, so far, so good. The Jets are 2-2. Two and two. The Yankees are moving on to the ALBS. What else could I ask for? It is good times in New York sports. Basketball is back as well. Not that we're expecting the Knicks or Nets to make any noise this year, but like you said, we get the Yankees in the playoffs. The Giants are 0-4. The Jets are on a two-game winning streak. Uh, things are good heading here in early October, and the Jets are 2-2 two two thanks to a 23-20 to overtime win over the Jacksonville Jaguars and what was... Uh, Fairly weird back-and-forth game that for a while it seemed like neither team wanted to win and looked like we might be headed towards a tie. Uh, after falling down early in the game 7-0, uh, the Jets get a 70-plus-yard touchdown from Bilal Powell when the Jaguars fail to touch him down on a punt. Uh, game kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Elijah McGuire rips off a 69-yard touchdown then as him and Powell combined for over 300 yards of offense. Who would have thought that playing your two best running backs with the most speed would be more effective than playing Matt Forte, who could barely walk at this point? Uh, the Jets were in control for most of the second half until... Uh, a swing pass turned into a fumble that was ran back by Jacksonville for a touchdown, and a late Josh McCown interception uh, turned into a game-tying field goal after a few possessions were exchanged in overtime. The Jets were able to pin Jacksonville deep, get good field position off a not-so-great punt, get the necessary 10 or 15 yards, and kick a game-winning field goal in the final seconds of overtime. 2-2 two and two for the Jets now, who move on to play Cleveland next week, where realistically, I don't. I know the line has kind of floated back and forth. They should be the favorite and should be expected to win. Cleveland's 0-4. They got blown out by an 0-3 Bengals team last week. Uh, they have a rookie quarterback who's been struggling substantially. So what you have now is a, is a very interesting, good early season test for a young team who is now reading their press clippings for the first time, uh, will probably be a considered a favorite in a game by most for the first time, uh, and then has a game with the Patriots uh, looming the week after. So a good test for the coaching staff, a good test for this young team to see how they could respond to a little success. Scott, what were your initial you know, thoughts or reactions uh, to this Jets win over Jacksonville besides the obvious why the hell have they not been giving the ball to Powell and McGuire like this since the beginning of the season? 
Yeah, that was obviously the first thing that stuck out to me. Like you said, Matt Forte looks like he's got cement shoes on right now, and I still laugh at the people that'll say things like, with Minnesota, oh, call and offer Matt. No one's trading for Matt Forte. Can we get this out of the way, that, that insane notion? Why on earth would anybody trade for Matt Forte when you could sign somebody off a practice squad or really a free agent off the street that can give you at least as much value and in most cases significantly more value than Matt Forte. But, yeah, it was nice for Elijah McGuire to finally get an opportunity to do something. And, man, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon on that play. And seeing Bilal Powell finally be the feature back, so to speak, or the two of them splitting carries was good. There were a lot of things that, that stood out. Robbie Anderson, I thought, took another step forward. He's becoming a pretty consistent deep threat. There were games early on where he would get open deep and McCown wasn't necessarily finding him, but we're starting to see those things open up, and I'm kind of excited to see what Robbie Anderson can do because teams were starting to focus in a little on Jermaine Curse because that was who McCown was going to, and we'll see how Anderson continues to develop. And on the defensive side of the ball, look, Adams and May, Adams didn't necessarily do what he did against Miami. It'd be almost impossible to repeat that kind of Herculean effort on a weekly basis, but he still looked great and they were deploying him all, all over the field. It seems like Bowles is using Adams sort of the same way that he liked to use his safeties in Arizona, especially Deion Buchanan, just kind of moving him all over the place, disguising things. And to his credit, Adams is able to handle just about everything thrown his way. It's remarkable how good he seems to be this early and this quick. I can't remember a guy being so good so fast on this team since Darrell Revis, and now you're looking at roughly a decade ago. So that's just a, a crazy thing to watch. Bass and also Coney Ely obviously stuck out, uh, and Austin Safarian Jenkins. So a couple of those waiver wire pickups that were very low-risk, high-reward moves are starting to pay off. That catch by Austin Safarian Jenkins was terrific, and it's the kind of play that only a guy with Safarian Jenkins' size and speed can make, uh, size, speed, and athletic ability, I should say, can make. You don't find guys that are that size and with that kind of agility and that kind of playmaking ability every single day, and this is the reason why he was so highly thought of coming out of Washington and why he was a second-round pick by Tampa in the first place. You mentioned the odds. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here if the line shifts. I had a special guest on with me on the post-game podcast on Sunday after the game, and that special guest was my brother, who is an expert on the odds because he's a professional poker player, and so he is very tight with a lot of professional sportsbook guys and, and knows a lot of the casino guys, too, the ones that run the casino sportsbooks. And what he said was he thought that the Jets would probably – be favored, but he also could see the Browns opening up as about a one-point favorite, which is about what happened. I think the line will probably shift, and ultimately the Jets will end up being favored by the time kickoff happens on Sunday. But it's going to be interesting. Like you said, Joe, this is the first time that anybody will go into a game this season not only thinking they may win, but actually expecting them to win. And they're a young team, and they haven't had that kind of expectation yet in any game this year. So it'll be really fascinating to see how they handle it. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to also see how this offense develops going forward and how they're able to keep pace when they start playing uh, a few more high-powered teams and they're not going against Blake Bortles and Jay Cutler. Obviously, that's also going to be an interesting test for the defense because the defense has been very good the past two weeks. But you could still see some of the liabilities in the middle of the field, particularly at the inside linebacker position. So how are the Jets going to coach around that when they're playing a Tom Brady, when they're playing a Matt Ryan, or they're playing Tyrod Taylor again, or Jameis Winston? Are they going to be able to overcome that? And then how is this offense going to continue to develop? We, you know, McCown has done what he was brought here to do. He's playing about as well as he can for who he is and for what he's shown throughout his career. I don't think we're we're really anywhere near a quarterback switch. My guess is that my guess was always that the earliest they would make it is after the New England game. That seems off the table now with two wins already on. The latest they would make it is after the bye week. I think you got to see what the record is going into the bye week. But we, you know, you see what the formula is here. It's lean on the running game. It's lean on the running backs in the passing game as well because both Powell and McGuire. Uh, had a few catches on Sunday as well. Take a few shots over the top with Robbie Anderson and then hope that some of the other pieces could continue to develop and step up, particularly Austin Safarian Jenkins. Obviously, we'd like to see more Ardarius Stewart on offense. It's not that Curly isn't still good at doing what he's done and he, he's still an effective third down target, but you just wonder long-term the benefits of getting guys like Stewart out there, who's also a more explosive player as he almost did break off a kick return uh, last week. So it's going to be interesting to see how this offense continues to develop and if they could continue to score 20 points uh, like they have the last three weeks, which is a number I think many people didn't expect them to hit many times at all this year. So can they keep that up? Uh, can they find ways to you know, keep pace when you know, maybe 20 or 23 points isn't going to be enough to win? They're going to have to maybe get up in the 27 to 30 range uh, as the schedule gets harder. But I think it's, you know, it's encouraging to see a young team playing with such a high level of energy and enthusiasm. I, th- I was at the game on Sunday. I thought, it w- I thought it was a good environment. I mean, the stadium was probably about 70% full, fill, but it was overwhelming majority was Jet fans. Uh, it was a loud crowd. The crowd was into the game. Uh, the players in the field were feeding off the crowd and the environment, which is, which is really light, you know, night and day from last year when we saw such a, a lackadaisical team that was so difficult to root for. So everybody's excited to see the young players playing well. I, you know, the one thing that I've noticed, and, you know, maybe this is just coming from me, I, I don't consider this start shocking. I, I know a couple of people out there picked the Jets to go 1-15 and 15 or 2-14, and 14, but there were plenty of other people, including plenty of people, on our site and sites like ours who thought that a 2-4 and four or 3-3 three and three start were, was pretty reasonable considering that they got Jacksonville, they get Cleveland, they had Miami and Buffalo. That could be a scenario where you figure you could win one, you know, one or two of those games. So I don't think it's shocking that they're starting 3-3 three and three, uh, or they, you know, they do start 3-3 three and three or they do start 2-4. and four. Um, I think what's going to be more interesting to see is how do they handle some success against Cleveland? And then how do they handle it when the competition uh, ramps up a little bit, when they play New England, when they play Atlanta, when they play Tampa Bay? 
Uh, can this team get into the bye week at four and six? Uh, how do they handle that last tough stretch of their schedule? But this team was never going 0-16. This team was never going 1-15. Uh, this always was a team that was probably going to hover somewhere between four and six wins. And as of right now, it looks like they could be on the higher end of that. But again, narratives could change very quickly in the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out the next few weeks. Uh, Before we dive into previewing Cleveland a little more, we want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to go to primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets to learn more about what they're going to be doing at upcoming home games. They usually have a tailgate set up inside the Pepsi gate where you can meet former players, get an open bar, get some good food before the game. Make sure, again, to check out primesport.com backslash turn the Jets. Give them a follow on Facebook and Twitter at primesport. All right, Scott, when you look at this matchup against the Cleveland Browns, uh, what, what sort of jumps out to you, and how do you think the Jets match up with them? Well, the thing that's going to be interesting here is you have the wily veteran, so to speak, in Josh McCown on one end, and the rookie who has not played well at all on the other end in Deshaun Kaiser. And in, in a lot of ways we could have seen the Jets go down that path because if Christian Hackenberg had won the job, who knows what would have happened. It it would have been nice to see him outplay Josh McCown in the preseason and and somewhat kind of go into the season on a positive note. But even if he did, there's no guarantee, because remember, Kaiser played very well in the preseason, so people were optimistic. There's no guarantee he doesn't start games in the regular season and then look the way Kaiser did. So watching the Browns is kind of what the Jets could have been. It's that a parallel universe if McCown weren't the quarterback right now. And so what I think is going to be interesting is, is Todd Bowles going to really capitalize and turn up the heat on the young quarterback who struggled in Deshaun Kaiser? And is he going to deploy Adams in a bunch of different ways the way he has? Is May going to kind of have a field day roughing up some of the guys in the secondary? Are we going to see some exotic blitzes from the linebackers and and guys in the secondary as well. And are we going to finally see Leonard Williams get that sack? People have made way too much of the fact that he doesn't have one yet. Leonard Williams has been in the backfield. He's been close. He's had pressures. He just hasn't been able to follow through on that sack just yet. He's played well, though. He's not playing at a J.J. Watt level, but nobody should ever expect that. Muhammad Wilkerson, look, he's got to show up. We'll, we'll see what he brings to the table. But I think that there are a lot of opportunities for this defense and, and Todd Bowles to get creative and really make things difficult for the Browns. I know their offensive line has actually played very well, and our own Jeff Lloyd will have an interesting preview on this as well, I'm sure, as he's hosting that Daily Browns show, Locked on Browns. So he has talked a lot about the, how the offensive line has played well, but that the young receivers have not. So maybe Morris Claiborne is able to really lock some things down and the two safeties get the job done. On the offensive side of the ball, look, it's as simple as this. Just go with what's working, and what's working is feed Powell, feed Elijah McGuire, throw the ball deep to Robbie Anderson, see where Jermaine Curse is going to be open in, in, in space, you know, maybe 10, 15 yards, whatever it is that, that he sees, because Curse does seem to have a knack for getting open. And find Austin Safarian Jenkins, who the last two weeks, I mentioned this on the postgame podcast on Sunday, hasn't exactly been Rob Gronkowski. We're not going to get crazy with that or Jimmy Graham, but he's made some really nice plays the last two weeks, including 
each week there was a highlight level catch that he made. So let the offensive line give Josh McCown some time. We're going to see if Miles Garrett will play this week. Nobody knows for sure yet. But if he does, obviously, you have to game plan for him. But I think there are opportunities. McCown can really kind of pick on a, a younger team, get the ball downfield to Anderson. You, you let that running game lead the way. I mean, that's what they did against Jacksonville. McGuire and Powell were the, were the difference in that game, period, end of sentence. Those two big plays from those two guys is the reason they won. There were you know other contributing factors. But without those two plays and without McGuire and Powell both playing well, the Jets do not win that game. So you stick with that formula. Let McCown throw, you know, however many times he's going to throw, but make sure that the offense is centered around the running game and on the defensive side of the ball. Todd Bowles do, should do what Todd Bowles does and, and throw in some interesting coverages that Deshaun Kaiser's probably never seen, rush him from a lot of different angles, confuse him. And I think if, if the Jets do that, they're going to have a very strong chance to win on the road and become 3-2. and two. And, Joe, I wanted to ask you something, and I'm sure we'll get into this much later on around the Patriots game and, and certain theoreticals, but it's been thrown out at me. If the Jets do win this game against the Browns and then go on to beat the Patriots, at that point do we go from tank to, wow, strangely enough, this team might actually be, dare I say, pretty good? Look, if the Jets beat the Patriots uh, and are 4-2, and two, I think it's fair at that point to reassess the ceiling of this team and say this might be a team that could win eight or nine games and maybe hang around the playoff discussion for a while. Uh, I think short of that, uh, I would not get overly excited about beating Miami, Jacksonville, and Cleveland. I think it's very good to win those games. I think it's one thing to look at a game on the schedule and be like, hey, that's winnable, and then actually follow through and win it. That's impressive for a young team. It's impressive for this coaching staff. Uh, but beating a New England, beating an Atlanta, uh, those are different level type of wins that, you know, I think the Jets can beat Cleveland and be 3-2 and two next week. And if you ask me what their final record will be, I'll still say 5-11 and 11 or 6-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. If they beat New England and they're 4-2, and two, I might say, you know what, their final record might be 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, um, maybe even a touch higher than that. Let's not get crazy. 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, could be somewhere in that range. So... We're going to learn a lot about the Jets in my mind the next four weeks and exactly what type of season this is going to be. Can they handle business against Cleveland uh, on the road where they're 0-2 right now? So can they win a road game? Can they win a game where they're the better team? Uh, Against New England, how do they stack up against the NFL's best offense and a team that, despite their problems on defense, is one of the three or four best teams in the NFL? Then you go back to you go to Miami, uh, and at that point, that could be another game where people expect the Jets to win, but again, also a road game. So can you sweep a division rival? Uh, can you win on the road? And then you get Atlanta at home, obviously the defending NFC champion. Uh, how do you how do you stack up against one of the NFL's best teams? So how did the Jets do in that set of games? Are they two and two? Are they one and three? Do they hang around with New England and Atlanta, or do they get their doors blown off them like they did when they played in Oakland? So we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about this team over the next four weeks. Again, I think tempered optimism is where you should be right now. The young players are playing well. Uh, Waiver wire pickups are contributing to pick up uh, some of the slack from some of the draft picks who are not contributing, which is a good sign for Mike McCagnin. Uh, They are doing, they've improved some of the problems on defense, but this is still a very limited offense. Uh, You know, the Jets are 
you know, they were a moment or two away from losing to Jacksonville 23-20. It's not like they went out and beat Jacksonville 31-0. They won an overtime as time was expiring, aided by, you know, a kind of bizarre 70-yard touchdown uh, where Jacksonville forgot to touch Bilal Powell. Not that Jacksonville didn't get their own weird touchdown on that lateral pass, but this was not like a complete dominant effort. And I do think they're going to run into some issues with McCown uh, needing to throw a little more to keep up uh, in some of these other weeks. But for this upcoming week, I think they match up well with Cleveland. I think they got a great chance to win the game. I think it's logical to expect them to win uh, if they go in with the right game plan and attack Deshaun Kaiser the way that they should. All right, and before we wrap, we want to throw it to Scott Mason to give us a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the Play Like a Jet podcast on iTunes or check out episodes every Friday on TurnTheJets.com. Each week, Scott talks to a different member uh, from the New York Jets past history, uh, previous players, uh, previous people who have written about the team. Uh, It's really a great uh, in-depth listen to get a better understanding of Jets history. Scott, who do we have on the way this week? Well, this week, before I get into what we're going to do on, on the show over the next couple of weeks, I just want to say thank you to everybody for the great feedback on the Eric McMillan series on 1988. Got more feedback on that than any other series we've done so far. Eric was really appreciative of it, too. He said it's an honor that so many Jets fans, some of whom weren't even around to watch him play, have been looking him up and asking him questions and even watching old videos of him on YouTube. He says he really gets a kick out of that. So feel free to follow Eric on Twitter and and, uh, let him know how much you enjoyed him on Play Like a Jet. And if you haven't listened to that series yet, go check it out either on iTunes or at TurnOfTheJets.com. But this week we start a series. On 2006, the year the Mangenius came to town, Eric Mangini, and we're going to talk about it with a guy who made the Pro Bowl that year. He was one of the best in the league at what he did, and what he did best, besides being an offensive back, was being a kick returner, and that was Justin Miller. And a couple of touchdowns returning kicks that year, and we're going to talk about everything from cover to cover. We're going to start with his prolific career at Clemson. How did he feel? after he had nearly 300 yards and just kick return yardage against Florida State and what that maybe meant for his eventual draft stock, what it was like to get recruited as a top-notch athlete. Some of these guys, you hear stories, they weren't necessarily recruited. Josh Allen recently is an example about how he had to write letters and send tapes to schools to have any interest. Well, Justin Miller had tons of teams falling all over themselves for him because he was such a supreme athlete. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk quite a bit about his early experiences with Eric Mangini, what he thought about Eric Mangini compared to Herm Edwards, the mix and match, the give and take. And his initial impression of Eric Mangini was, shall we say, quite interesting. And on top of all of that, we're going to talk about what it meant to him when the Jets drafted him. And for those of you that weren't around at the time in the 2005 draft, the fans were chanting their approval, chanting his name, even before he was picked. So what it meant to him to have the New York crowd, who's notoriously brutal, chanting his name and wanting him to become a member of the Jets. All of that and more as we get into part one of the 2006 season, the year that Eric Mangini came to town on Play Like a Jet this week. You can get it at iTunes. You can get it at TurnOnTheJets.com or really anywhere where podcasts can be downloaded. Thank you to everybody who's given us reviews on iTunes. If you haven't yet, please do. It helps us out a lot, and it doesn't take a lot of time. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. And do it for all the shows at Turn on the Jets Digital, including 
the Jet Take with Kyle Fahey and Ben Blessington. This podcast, obviously, with Joe and Dalvin, and Draft Season with Dalvin and Jeff Lloyd. So make sure, if you enjoy our shows, they're free of charge. It doesn't take you a lot of time to do these things. It takes two seconds, but it helps us out a lot, and it really allows us to help to uh, continue to churn out this great content for you. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and look forward to everyone's feedback on part one of 2006 with the great Justin Miller starting this Friday at turnthejets.com and iTunes. Thanks, Scott. And again, uh, as Scott said, make sure you're subscribed to all our podcasts, uh, the Turn on the Jets podcast, new episodes every Wednesday or Thursday, uh, and the Play Like a Jet podcast, new episodes every Friday, and now a post-game uh, reaction pod either Sunday night or first thing Monday morning. Check them both out on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, if you do leave us a review, tweet us over a screenshot of it, and you'll be eligible to be entered to win a free shirt from our store. Uh, so keep those reviews coming in. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week.